welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. My name is Adam, one of the leaders here at the church, and I'm excited this morning. Who was here last week? Anybody? Oh, man. Oh, man. You guys remember that? That was crazy. That was crazy. Okay, I got to get organized here. I got a lot of little items. So, beautiful. All right, so um, my wife Emily and I, we are, uh, we're going on vacation next week. Woo-woo! Yeah, it's gonna be good times. We are we're going to Ireland, which I'm really excited about. It's uh, it's part of my um, family heritage, so I'm told. I I don't know of any of my family who is there, um, yes. but I'm told that the red beard is part of the giveaway. Um, <laughs> our West Bank team is um, also in the ground, as uh, on the ground, not in the ground. <laughs> wow, <laughs> big difference. They <laughs> they're on the ground in the West Bank. And, uh, and, and we got a message um, just the other day in the Trinity Life community group on Facebook uh, from Seth. He posted they're safe and they're starting to engage with domain leaders, which is really, really exciting. And so we bless them in the name of Jesus with success in that as they continue to do that throughout the week. Um, all right, so here's something interesting about both Ireland and the West Bank. All right, here's, here's one thing that they have in common, that both in recent history have built large walls to separate two groups of people from each other because they weren't getting along. Uh, this history is such that without these walls, people would be free to just charge into the other, wherever, to the next door and attack whoever was living there or whoever they didn't get along with and kind of have their way with the people they considered their enemy. <clears throat> Scary stuff, right? And this is recent history. So for Ireland, uh, they called them the Peace Walls. Um, they, uh, they were erected in the 1960s. Right? So this is fairly recent history um, in which this has been going on. Um, and so for, for some of us, uh, we, can, we can see like physical walls come up, but for many of us, even just looking at North America, we can see not just physical walls, but spiritual walls erecting between groups of people. And that's because often spiritual realities kind of manifest themselves physically. When, uh, when Mike uh, preached two weeks ago, he put up, uh, I, sh- I actually should have grabbed it for you. Oh yeah, there's, sorry, I, brought, I got pictures. There's the Ireland one. Yeah, that's, that's one of the peace walls. And do you have the other one? Did you already show these? No? Okay, great. So this is, this is the West Bank, and so those are our Israeli soldiers. You can see the wall back there dividing um, one side from the other. There you go, great. So you can kind of see exactly what they look like. So Mike showed um, a couple weeks ago, sorry, I didn't get the picture for you, but he showed the, uh, the spectrum of, of uh, the wave spectrum, right? And a very tiny sliver right in the middle was the, the visible light spectrum that we can actually see. And the rest of it is, uh, is, is waves that are traveling that we can't see. And the only reason we know they exist is because of cool technology, we can see them, and so just because we can't see something doesn't mean it doesn't exist, right? And so when, when physical walls go up, it's probably because there's a spiritual reality behind that that we cannot see. 
And oftentimes the spiritual reality comes way before the physical reality. All right, so when it comes to the passage we're going to dive into today, uh, Paul makes reference to, and this is the whole reason I'm talking about walls right now, the dividing wall of hostility being brought down by Jesus and peace being made. Um, And today, guys, we're going to see peace being made in this passage between each other, it's between people, but also between people and God because of our newfound identity in Jesus Christ as a believer. And then I'm also going to propose kind of one spiritual weapon we have to fight in spiritual warfare. Considering we're in this sermon series on Ephesians, this is all about spiritual warfare. Um, we believe that there is a spiritual reality, and we need to that we are we are engaged in this battle, whether you like it or not. And uh, and so I'm going to hopefully give you one tool you can use to fight those spiritual battles. <clears throat> um, That will lead to, and this is the whole point of fighting spiritual battles, it will lead to an uprising of peace, because that's the topic we're on today, is uprising peace. That will lead to an uprising of peace in our city. All right, so let's let's jump into the text here and kind of get started. In uh, verse 11, now it's, it's, let me just say this before we read it, it can be a little bit confusing um, because we're not Jews, okay? Uh, if you were Jewish, this would probably make a lot more sense, and so hopefully, I'm going to slow down a little bit and unpack it a little bit so that, uh, so that we can catch up on some things we may need to know to kind of really understand what's going on here. <clears throat> um, all of, this, isn't, this isn't anything crazy. Like, you could know this stuff just by reading through the Bible. You kind of get the, the story of, of what's going on here. Um, so you don't have to be like a historian or like no all sorts of crazy things to, to get this. You could just, you could find this stuff in the scriptures. Because I'm not, I'm not that smart, so I like to make things easy and just find everything in one place. Um, anyways, all right, so uh, here we go. Verse 11. So therefore remember that at one time you were Gentiles, uh, those are not, Jew- not Jews, in the flesh, called the, cir- the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in flesh by hands. You're like, What? <laughs> What? Okay, so let's make sense of this. So in that day, Paul was in the habit of writing letters to new churches that had been growing as the result of the resurrected Jesus and this story kind of getting around. And in many cases, uh, well, sorry, in, <laughs> the case is that this was a Jewish movement originally, right? Jesus came out of that tradition. Uh, he would have believed that Jewish people were God's chosen people. Uh, He would have really loved reading the scriptures, and in particular, there's one story that's very significant where um, God saves a Gentile pagan, that might be offensive if you're Jewish, named Abram. Let's remember that that's kind of the the origin story for Abraham. He was a Gentile pagan. He actually, if you you read deeper, um, you'll see he's from a region called the Ur- Ur of the Chaldeans, something like that. Pronunciation up for interpretation. Uh, which is actually Babylon, right? And if you're familiar with the biblical story at all, you know Babylon uh, was not a good place to be for the Jews, right? They were, they were slaves there. They were in captivity there. But that's where Abram, later named Abraham, is from. And so he's a Gentile pagan originally. And God, uh, God enters in and starts speaking to Abram, and you can imagine if you're Abram, this, this pagan guy, kind of 
you know, there's all sorts of tribal gods hanging around, and then all of a sudden, the loudest voice in the proverbial room is, is this God in particular that starts speaking for, uh, to you, and you start following it. That's kind of crazy, right? Like, if we were to kind of talk about that stuff today, it would probably put you in a place where you have to get help for your mental health issues, right? <clears throat> so it's crazy, this guy... Abram, this Gentile pagan, hears God's voice and he starts trusting it. And so this, uh, this voice starts promise, making promises to Abram uh, that he would turn Abram into a people, that he would be their God and that they would be his people, that, he, uh, that the whole world, in fact, would be blessed through him and all sorts of other amazing, cool things. You can check it out in Genesis 12 if you're interested. Um, all right, and so he starts trusting this. Uh, the, uh, the, the Bible later says that Abram believes God and this was credited to him as righteousness, which is complicated, but let's just say at this juncture um, that even at that point in the biblical narrative, in the grand narrative of the scriptures, we see that God saves through faith. That God is always the same. He's faithful to who he is and he's not different in the Old Testament than he is in the New Testament. Abraham uh, didn't have to do anything. He just believed God, and God credited it to, credited it to him as righteousness. That was a gift. <clears throat> and so in either case, here we go. Abraham gets circumcised. I won't go into detail about exactly what that is. I'm sure you have heard about it before. Um, but essentially, the Coles notes is you remove a piece of flesh for the act of reflecting a spiritual reality and manifesting that in a physical reality. That's a simple explanation. Um, this is to represent a transformation of your heart. This was a sign of the covenant relationship that Abraham had with the God of the Bible. And so, in summary, Circumcision is an outward sign of an inward spiritual transformation or spiritual reality. All right, so uh, how do we know this is the case? How do we know this is not just some religious exercise that you do to earn favor with God? Because oftentimes these, uh, these types of things, we so easily turn them into that. We say, if I do this, I will garner favor with God. Right? How do we know that? So the Bible talks about it um, in many different places, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, the, the, the Bible likens it to the cutting away of sin from our hearts, that that's what circumcision is to represent. This, of course, all points to Jesus, whose flesh was uh, broken and removed from his body so that our sin could be removed from our heart. And in fact, we would receive an entirely new heart. Our heart of stone would be taken out and a heart of flesh would be put in. <clears throat> and so for Jews at the time, we're all coming back to verse 11 here. For Jews at the time, uh, this could kind of be uh, an identifier for who's in, your, in the club, right? You could know who's on your team. Are you the uncircumcised or are you the circumcised? It's kind of a... Strange thing. Um, but the, uncircumci the uncircumcision here would kind of, it, it could often uh, be like a pejorative term or a, or a slang term 
um, that, uh, that, may be, that may be used as kind of this, a hostile term, that there's a divide between people, whether you're part of the uncircumcision or the circumcision. Um, so there you go. So the Gentiles were the uncircumcision. That's Gentiles being everybody who's not Jewish, which is probably everybody in this room. Um, and the circumcision, which would be the Jews. All right. So Paul goes on uh, to explain kind of the depths of the meaning of that term there, the uncircumcision. So if you were in this category, if you, if you had been called that, the uncircumcision, you would know. And this is, this is kind of what it meant, okay? So that, now we get to verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Wow. That's, a, that's like a really big deal, right? This, so, uh, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't want us to miss how big of a deal that is to say that to somebody. You have no hope. You are separated from Christ. No hope in the world. There's no hope from you, for you, and you are without God. That's a big deal. Um, and so... There could be this air of pride amongst uh, the Jewish people, right? We have God on our side and you don't. Um, we are the apple of God's eye and you are not. We are the descendants of Abraham and so we have access to the covenants of promise, which you do not. And by the way, I'm missing a part of my manhood and you aren't. <laughs> Maybe they're just overcompensating with the last one, I don't know. All right, all jokes aside, here we go. Um, so that you can see there's generally this hostility, right? This dividing wall of hostility towards the Gentile. Um, and, uh, and here's how it manifests physically. All right, so I've got a picture here. Uh, let's take a look at the Herodian temple. So this is the temple of the Jewish people at the time, okay? This is pretty cool. My, my Bible in particular actually has a, a picture of this in there. Um, so you can, if you, if you find a cool, this is like a study Bible, so it has all sorts of extra resources in there for you to kind of see things like this. So when it says the temple, you can actually see what that looks like. And so here it is. Um, obviously, this is kind of a, a diagram of, of basically what it would have been like. Um, all right. And so here we go. I got a cool laser here. I'm going to try and use it to illustrate some things. So pardon my accuracy if I'm not so good. I have not practiced. All right. So there. Okay. This right here. This part, right, in here is, you guys ever heard the term the holy of holies, right? Okay, so that's like the innermost part of the temple. Uh, the temple in this, in this time and to the Jews representing the presence of God amongst the people of God, okay? So that's the temple. And the very innermost part here literally represented the closest you could get to the presence of God. That's the closest you could get, all right? Um, now, out on the outside here, you guys see this little wall? All right. This is the dividing wall of hostility Paul is talking about. Because here is the court of the Gentiles. Okay? That if you were a Gentile, you could not go into the innermost parts and descend towards the Holy of Holies. You were kept as far away from the presence of God as was possible. All right, and so we see here the Gentiles kept on the outside. Um, this court right here is called the court of women. Okay, 
So even King Herod, the guy who fronted the bill for this whole thing, was not allowed in, into here. He wasn't allowed, even though he paid for the whole thing. Okay? And women, women had a higher status than him, even the king at the time, because he was a Gentile. Um, so the Jewish women would have a higher status here, and then you, the Jewish men would, could proceed even uh, further into the next court, and then the priests, um, and then one guy once a year was allowed into the Holy of Holies, and this was such a big deal that um, they would often have to tie a rope around this guy because if he went in, and uh, uh, God's presence could literally kill him, and they'd have to drag him out. So they didn't want to leave a dead body in there for a year. Uh, <laughs> So, like, this is, a, this is a big deal to have this close access to the presence of God, okay? And the Gentiles were kept as far out, Gentiles being everybody who's not a Jew were kept as far out as possible. <clears throat> All right. So there you go. You can see this dividing wall of hostility erected here. Um, what, often, what could happen even if you tried to cross the dividing wall of hostility and you were a Gentile like, the, the penalty for that was, was often death. It's a big deal. Very hostile. Um, all right, and so we kind of, this helps us see the way the Jews saw the outside world around them and what it would have felt like for a Gentile to hear the message that Paul is, is writing to them. Because um, they, weren't, they, were, they weren't just living in this spiritual reality, right? These walls weren't just erected um, just to physically keep people out, that this was literally a, a, a spiritual reality that, that Jews dwell in the presence of God, but Gentiles could not. This is a spiritual reality. Gentiles could not enter into the promises of God. Um, some of those promises being access to God's love, hope, relationship. Um, it says later in the text that those who were far off were brought near, and so there's this closeness, this imminence of God that, we, that, we, that, that sometimes you can even tangibly experience. <clears throat> Forgiveness of sin, this is a big deal, right? That if there's a God of the universe who wants a relationship with us, and we kind of, ah, whatever, I don't need you, God, right? Like, there's a forgiveness there. God says, hey, I forgive you, I love you, I'm pursuing you, I'm coming after you, that that, that act uh, let, me, let me take that on and forgive it so that we can stay in relationship together. Uh, redemption and freedom. Oftentimes God's people were uh, in, in slavery or captivity uh, in, in a physical sense, right? They were literally bound in shackles, made to do work and all this in Egypt or in, in Babylon. So there's a physical reality because uh, they had denied God and his covenant with them. And so God gave them up to their sin and they became slaves. And so um, part of God's promises is to free them from the captivity that they've put themselves in, free them back into relationship with him. All right, so... There's a lot there, but let's keep, keep on trucking. Um, so let's remember, we are Gentiles in the story, um, and if there's a descendant of Abraham in the room, would you please stand up? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, so here's how this story goes in, because we gotta, we got to keep unpacking Abraham a little bit. <clears throat> um, uh, the, uh, the Jews and the Gentiles, um, they didn't agree on much, but here's one thing they agreed on. Jesus needed to die. Jesus needed to die. But the cool thing is uh, that in that, Jesus defeats sin on the cross. We're going we're gonna to read about this in a second. 
Um, and he rises from death three days later. And so the movement um, that started primarily with Jews, uh, the, the 12 disciples were Jews. Um, they, stored up, they stirred up lots of trouble in their local community um, because obviously Jesus was a part of it and they started talking about the resurrected Jesus. Yeah, we killed him, but he rose from death. This creates a whole new reality for us and everybody else. Um, the Gentiles started hearing about this and, uh, and, and they start meeting Jesus and they become Christians too. And they're like, uh, oh my gosh, what's going on here? And so all these Jewish folks uh, become Christians. All these, gen these Gentile folks start becoming Christians. Um, and so... Uh, what happens? Like we, we have all these questions now because what started off as this kind of Jewish movement where uh, everybody there had been circumcised um, is now spreading into all these people who are like, well, why would I ever want to do that? And so there's questions, right? And that's why we have the book of Galatians in the scripture. Uh, this book primarily tackles that issue. What do we do about circumcision? Is that for us? And, and uh, if you say I have to be circumcised to earn God's love and favor, well, is that is that right? I guess then I have to get circumcised. Um, and Paul addresses that, that issue because that wasn't right, that Jesus did away with that on the cross. Um, you can see this. We just, we just went through um, the book of 1 Corinthians. Was it last year? Um, either way, you can see there's a bunch of questions in that book, right? These are a bunch of Gentiles meeting Jesus and all sorts of trouble arises. So here's some of the questions, right? Can I get drunk on communion wine? This isn't a question like, that like, church people generally ask. We're like, yeah, you know, communion wine, that's, that's fine. Like, well, they, they could keep it contained in a nice little bowl, but if you're an Anglican or a Catholic, right, it's actually wine. You could actually get drunk on it if you got a hold of the bottle and just went dig -a -dig -a -dig -a -dig, right? So there's questions about this. Can I sleep with my mother-in-law? Right? This is just how they live their life. This is just how they live their life. So they had to ask these questions and deal with these issues as Gentiles started meeting Jesus. Can I sue my Christian brother? Is that a good idea? Is that how we should interact? Is that, is that part of the freedom that we have in Christ? Can I, can I sue my brother in Christ? <clears throat> All right, so and it's actually, it's actually kind of cool because it gives us um, an understanding of how we should interact as, as a new church uh, in an urban environment. Right? We're going to have to deal with, with issues and get creative with how we take timeless truths and um, speak that truth into a, a, changing, um, a changing culture, a culture that has different values. Uh, we can get a lot of our, our missiology, kind of a big word, how we interact with the outside word and how we communicate the message of Jesus to the outside world through reading the New Testament and, the, and just... Yeah, Gentiles have all these questions, and they act differently than you do, and they think different things, and they have different values, and they understand God in a different way. And so we, can, we, have, to, we have to get creative and have fun interacting um, with, these, with these issues, even though we may not be used to dealing with them or be comfortable dealing with them. And I think, uh, just to be honest, I, I think the church does a horrible job at that, right? Which is why we get such a, why there's a dividing wall of hostility between the world and the church. All right, so here we go. There's a question that needs to be asked for us then. If, uh, if the Jews have access to the covenants of promise, why now do we say as Christians that we have access to the covenants of promise? Right? If this is a Jewish movement, um, how, does this, how does this relate? Okay, so let's, let's read verses 13 to 15. Ah, oh, so good. 
Right. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, those are the Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Um, let's pause right there. So we see right here, it's the cross that breaks down the dividing wall. Jesus takes what was made in the flesh by human hands, that circumcision, and he fulfills the greater purpose for it in his own flesh, his body that was broken. And so where we take the things of human hands and we use it to divide people, God uses human hands, that's Jesus, God the eternal son coming down to be with us. God uses human hands, the hands of Jesus, to unite people. So there's a lot, there's a lot in these three verses here that we need to make clear. Um, so there's the uh, made us both one. Who's he talking about? So, that, so the both, the one new man in place of the two, that's the Jews and the Gentiles, right? So no longer there are, there's, there's no longer Gentiles and Jews, two men, but there's now one man, uh, which is exciting. So let's, let's unpack that. Um, uh, one of the cool things is there's no longer a difference in how God sees people in terms of the covenants of promise. Right? We see this in Galatians. There's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, Man or woman, right? Salvation is for everyone. That's pretty cool. Let's keep going. Uh, I was trying to think of how do we, like, how do you, exp oh, you can go back to, yeah. How do you explain, how do you explain that really? Like, what's a good picture? Um, and I, uh, I took this from somebody, so, so I hope it's helpful. Um, also, it was on my mind because we just had our marriage conference um, and Omar talked about leaving and cleaving. So here's a picture of marriage that will hopefully illustrate this uh, two becoming one. So in marriage, uh, ideally, um, the woman would leave her mother and father um, and, and when she got married, she wouldn't join into the man's family and neither the man, he, he would leave his mother and father and he wouldn't join her family. The, the two of them came together to create a new family their family. Um, so this is consistent with the Bible or the biblical view of marriage. Um, uh, as God says, even in Genesis, before sin enters the story, uh, says that the man should leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. So it's just leaving the, and cleaving. Um, later, right after that, it says they become one flesh. Uh, so how does this relate? So the Jew is meant to leave their Jewish identity behind, the Gentile, his tribal pagan identity behind, and they come together united and reconciled with a new identity in Christ. That's the church. That's who we are. And they create a new family called Christianity. Um, this is literally a biblical image right here, so it's super exciting because Jesus, we've heard this before, right? Jesus is a groom and uh, the church is a bride 
And Jesus is pictured as the groom that's always chasing after. He just wants his bride so bad. He's, he's wooing her with love and pursuing her. Um, you think about everything you want, uh, ladies, right? Everything you want that husband of yours to be, he is it. Um, and, uh, and, and there's going to be this amazing wedding celebration in heaven. It's called the Wedding Supper of the Lamb. Um, and the point of this is to reflect this image to the world, uh, this beautiful image to the world, that there's a new reality that's in Jesus, that people who are divided can be united. People who are hostile towards each other can have peace. All right, hopefully that, that's helpful. <clears throat> All right, so here's some, here's some questions for us just to, just to process this a little bit. Um, who do you have attention with? I was asking these questions of myself. Adam, who, who, do, who do you have attention with? What type, of, what type of person? Like, is there a type of person that just triggers you? Is there anyone in the world that you just know that if you ever interacted with them, you just disagree with them no matter what? Like, even if they were, even if they were on the same side of you on a particular issue, like, you would just disagree with them because of the fact they disagree with you on another issue. Could it even go so far maybe as you would actually say you hate someone? Could it go that far? That's between you and the Lord. But here's some examples of what we see. It's not that we're not, we're not so far away from this. We can look back in time and say, oh, that's just back then. Yeah, they had these weird religious rules and a temple. Like, who has a temple? Like, come on. Right? We can look back in time and say, man, we are so far away from that. But we're not far away from that. Here's some examples, right? Rich people being apathetic towards poor people or poor people being, dis- uh, poor people, sorry, despising rich people just for the fact that they're rich. How about liberals and NDP hating conservatives or conservatives hating liberals? What about pro-lifers hating pro-choicers or pro-choicers hating pro-lifers? What about young people who are fr- constantly frustrated by the restrictions of old people or old people holding back young people in their ambitions? What about white people oppressing black people or black people getting revenge on white people? What about single people taking stands against married people or married people with kids who are just too busy to deal with single people? However you slice the pie, Ask yourself, what tribe do I put myself in? Where do I find my identity? Who am I? If someone's asking you, who are you? How would you answer it? That's your tribe. What do you keep so close to your heart that you're willing to demonize other people to defend it? Whatever that thing is, Jesus overcame that on the cross. Jesus made himself the friend of his enemies so that his enemies could become friends of God and each other. Jesus makes peace. Let me check time. I have a history of taking way too much time. (laughs) Here's the truth. War will not end. Strife will not end. Conflict will never end as long as people are living in the spiritual reality of hardness of heart, selfishness, a spiritual reality of tribalism, a spiritual reality of idolatry, 
Jesus in the flesh breaks down the physical and the spiritual walls dividing people so we can finally live in peace with each other. And there's no other hope in the world apart from the cross of Jesus Christ. So this means, and we did this uh, before the summer when we were going through the Sermon on the Mount, this means we are called to be peacemakers. This is exciting. All right, Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, here's, like, that already seems amazing, right? That people could actually get along and have peace between each other. Like, wow, it seems so far off right now, especially as tensions increase in North America, right? It just seems so far off from that. But there's something that's even more amazing. God makes peace between himself and humanity. And this is the key for us having peace with each other. Peace, ultimate peace amongst humanity will not come to fruition if we don't have peace with God. It just won't. And the beautiful thing is God comes to us to bring that peace between us and him. So let's read verses 16 and 19. All right. Uh, and might reconcile us both to God, there it is, in one body, that's the church, the new, the new man, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. See, God deals with it. God deals with the hostility. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. Both sides need peace between them and God, right? The Jew, if you read the biblical narrative, you see the Jews, like, they screw it up so bad over and over and over and over, and God, like a good groom, pursues his wife because he loves her, not because she's imperfect, right? He's constantly pursuing her. So both sides need peace because both sides are at war with God. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's even more amazing. Let's unpack a little bit. So first off, he, that's Jesus, might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. So there is a penalty for sin, just so that we're clear. That is death. It comes up right at the beginning of the Bible um, in Genesis. So there's a penalty for sin. It's death. And Jesus paid that price for you so that you could be in relationship with God, right? This is Adam and Eve taking the apple, saying, God, we don't need you, um, and God pursuing them saying, hey, I don't want you to live like this forever uh, in this spiritual reality of separation of relationship, right? I want you to be remade, to die and to rise again in a new spiritual reality where we have relationship again. Jesus left what was holy to come down to what is unholy. He left infinite riches to become humble and poor. He did not grasp onto, this is Philippians 2, he did not grasp onto godness, let's say. Uh, instead, he took onto himself flesh. He left where there was no sin to come to be where there was great, great sin. He left where he was praised and highly exalted to where he was hated and despised and ultimately killed, to kill the hostility between us and him. Furthermore, 
those who thought they were near to God because of the access they had in the temple to his presence, and those who were far off both have access to the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we can, we, when we look at this, we know this is a big deal because we see the whole Trinity present here. This is really cool, right? For through him, that's Jesus, we both have access in one spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, to God the Father. The whole Trinity is present in this act. We know when the whole Trinity shows up, like when John gets baptized, it's kind of a big deal. Sorry, when John baptizes Jesus. <clears throat> so let's not miss this. And it also shows there's no back of the bus in the church. There's not. In very recent history, this has been a reality for people where there's a back of the bus. There is no back of the bus. There's no room for a holier-than-thou attitude because we both, Gentile, Jew, anybody has access to the Father who is ultimately holy. Now, this gets even better and better and better, right? We can stop there, because they're like, okay, yeah, individualistic culture, North America, woohoo, like, it's all about me and Jesus. No, it's not just an individual reality. It's not just about you. Let's not get caught up in that me and Jesus thing. Um, and this is, this, is, this is tough to say because we've been planning this church the last six years as part of the, part of the team that's been part, um, kind of building this church. And um, the people who, who leave and they don't go into uh, other loving Christian community um, because they, they think for a while, okay, it's okay. I can just do me and Jesus for a little bit. Man, I've watched some of my dearest friends just shipwreck their life, man. Despite pleading with them and pursuing them in a relationship. And it's because of this individualistic mindset. I don't need the body of Christ, the church. Um, sometimes it's because of conflict within the body, and we say, hey, I, I'm unwilling to be a peacemaker inside the body. But we can't do that. You're fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. We're not strangers and aliens anymore. And here's what I'm not saying, that you have to stay at Trinity Life Church or else your relationship with God and your life is going to go horrible. That's not what I'm saying. But are you a part of the body of Christ? Or are you just trying to go out and make it on your own, just you and Jesus? I don't care which body, which local church, which expression of the body that is. They love Jesus, love the Bible, want to see you grow in who you are in Christ. I don't care. Trinity Life is a great place for that, by the way, if that's what you want. But I'm not saying this is the only place for that, so don't hear that. Anyway, let's keep reading. Verses 20, 22. Um, 
So this is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He dwells in the believer, but he also inhabits the praises of his people. We are being built together. The bricks are being laid on top of Jesus being the cornerstone. We are being built together as the ultimate place in which God dwells. And yes, this God, the Holy Spirit, dwells in the believer. But more than that, we are being built together to be a dwelling place for God on the earth. And there's something so much sweeter in that. Sinners find peace with God. People find peace with each other. And the dividing wall of hostility is torn down. The church, I guess if we had a bottom line, this would be it. Sorry, I don't have a slide for you on this one. The church is the family of peace led by the prince or cornerstone of peace, glorifying the author of peace. And guess what? Everybody's invited in. Yeah, come on, girl. Let me hear that again. Everybody's invited in. Woo, come on. Everybody's invited in. So this is why you get movements like, uh, you ever heard of the free church movement? Right, like literally... People would pay for their seat in the church. What? And if you couldn't pay, you didn't get a seat. And so socioeconomic status created a divide. No longer in the church are, can there be these divides. You get um, guys like Martin Luther King Jr., who was a pastor, by the way, who created amazing movements to stand on biblical truth that both black people and white people were made in the image of God. And so both were equally uh, worthy of value, dignity, and respect. This is a biblical concept from a pastor who created amazing headway um, in this area in North America. And so if you, and he wasn't perfect, and that's fine, but wow, look at the dividing wall that was torn down because of biblical truth that stands for all eternity. And so if you're in here, you are a necessary part of seeing this reality come into being in our church. You get to be a brick that is laid on the cornerstone of Jesus to build up the household of God in a way that the presence of God would dwell corporately among the community of believers. So, okay, so what does this look like practically for us then? If this is us, we're the building, God is dwelling among us. I have five things. One, this is, by the way, these five things, for any church, if you're just exploring, you're kind of like hopping around trying to figure out what church you're going to settle in, you're a new student, that's okay, I get it. Find a church that is good and these five things all apply to you, okay? So number one, be all in. Be all in. The church isn't a place where the 80-20 rule happens, right? Where 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That should not be a reality for us, but just so you guys know, that's what it's like at Trinity Life right now. 
We had a leaders retreat the other day. We have 28 people who lead in various ways in the church doing 107 people's worth of work. I can explain to you how I figured that out if you want um, later, but I won't right now. Be all in. Here are some options if you're having trouble figuring this out. Help in Kid City. Teach the next generation about Jesus and how to hear God's voice. Um, open a door for a new person. Help, help show hospitality to the city as they enter into the church, the place of peace. Join a BLG. That's a body life group. Um, serve both on Sunday and outside of Sunday, reaching the city outside. There are people in this church literally killing themselves so that you can passively consume the things that happen at our church. Now, there are people out there, a, a lot of people, who serve faithfully and regularly and are all in, and I thank you for being all in. Thank you. God sees you, and this is what he says to you. Well done, good and faithful servant. But for those who don't, repent and believe in faith that sacrificing for the corporate body will produce an unexpected fruit of joy and peace uh, and so many, so many other things that, that you couldn't even imagine just by being a part, just by, laying, just by being the brick, building the household together. Number two, uh, lead something. We have an incredible shortage of leaders. That 28 and 107 number that I gave, just gave you, that is just the leaders. That's, we, we need 107 leaders. I know our numbers look a little bit small right now. It's Thanksgiving, a lot of people are away with family and whatnot, but we need 107 leaders. We don't just need 107 people doing things. We need 107 people leading other people to do things so that we can reach the city. So lead something. We have a shortage of leaders in every single ministry in this church. Now, let me point this out. We have a lot of amazing women who are leaders. A lot, yeah, right? We have a lot of amazing women who are leaders. In fact, some of the most significant leaders in our church are women, and that's amazing. Furthermore, they're moms. They're moms. They've got a lot to do. They have every excuse in the world not to serve the church. But they serve the church. So let me have an aside with you men. You need to step up and stop waiting around for other people to carry the load that you were designed to carry. God is calling you to use your gifts and to serve his people. And for the most part, if we're disobedient to that and we're not leading something, you're being disobedient towards God. And so thank you to the women who pick up the load that God has designed them to carry, they go, who go above and beyond. And so men, it's your turn. Be a brick. Lay your life down. On Jesus, the cornerstone of the household of God. And if you're having trouble figuring out where you can lead, come talk to me. Whatever the difference is between 107 and 28, something like 80, I don't know. That's, <laughs> there's a lot of work to do around here, man. And it's going to be hard. 
I'm not saying it's going to be easy. It'll be hard. And it's going to leave you stretched and worn out. But God will purify you. God will give you rest. Through the crucible and flame of service to the Lord, you will come out of it looking more like Jesus. Passivity does not look like Jesus. Jesus actively pursues love. And guess what? You're going to have scars, but so did Jesus. Amen. But I can guarantee you this. More joy. More joy. There's a lot of scars in taking the risk of faith to start a new church. And there's a lot of scars. And partly those are self-inflicted, right? To be honest, I've done a lot of growing and a lot of learning. But... All, every single one of those scars is worth it if we look like, more like Jesus in the end. So learn to be a leader and lead something. Start in your house. And then start it in the domain of society that you operate in. Number three, be a peacemaker. Don't just be a polite observer. Chris, this, this is what Omar said last week. I forget in which context. I, didn't, I don't remember if he said it in this room or not. Christian politeness will kill the church. It will. Why? Here's the truth, too. Um, it's been an amazing pleasure to actually work through some really difficult issues with people in the church. Differences of opinion, my own sin. And when we work together to make peace between us, right, this is that peace between each other part, not just Gentile and Jew, but between each other, even in the church. So Christian politeness, if there was an issue, this is what happens. You don't deal with it. If there's an issue, you say, no, that's okay. I'll just gossip about it over here with my friend. I won't confront that person. Why? Because that'll create conflict. And so to avoid creating conflict, we just do nothing. Or we do something somewhere else, like gossip. Peacemakers enter into conflict and deal with it so there's peace. We kill it like God kills it. And we make peace. And it's been a pleasure to walk through those things because in the, in the best of times, there is so much joy that comes out of working through it because God is glorified. Peace is made between people. And so let's commit together as a church to be a real family. Confront the hard issues with humility, grace, truth, and forgiveness this is the question I've been asking. When do we finally get to be the church? When do we actually get to forgive each other instead of just running away to another church? When does forgiveness actually get to happen? Oh, this person offended me. Oh, this, this, this leader hurt me. Or, oh, none of my people are committed, so I'll just go do something else, right? When does forgiveness actually get to happen? When does grace get to happen? When do we get to show patience? When do we get to show unconditional love? 
And if we can't be peacemakers within the family of God, how are we going to go out like Martin Luther King Jr. and be peacemakers outside the church? We can't settle for dressing up in Sunday best and pretend to be people we're not for the sake of being polite and avoiding conflict. And your Sunday best as a kid looks different from your Sunday best when you show up in this context because nobody's wearing a suit right now. I get it. But ask yourself, what is Sunday best for me? How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. But you're not. All right, number four, operate in spiritual gifts. God has gifted you in a unique way and given you experiences in your life that have shaped how you will reflect his glory to the world. So go back and listen to our summer sermon series if you missed it. We did a whole series this summer on spiritual, this summer on spiritual gifts. Um, and so go to that and see what are your spiritual gifts. Ask God as you go through it. God, how have you built me, made me, designed me? And, uh, and grow in it. If you feel like you already have discovered that, if this summer series was really helpful. So what? Now you know. Guess what? Next step. Grow in that, mature in that. Discover the joy and the beauty and the peace that could be made by operating in it. All right. Lastly, let me give you uh, a little weapon to fight the spiritual warfare. Um, that's, that's the context we're in. We're in a sermon series on spiritual warfare. I told you at the beginning I was going to give you this weapon, and... Uh, Hopefully, this is helpful to you. This comes all the way back um, from verse 11. Can we show that again? Is that all right? Thanks, Josh. Therefore, remember, that is your weapon. That is how you fight the spiritual warfare around you. Remember, remember, remember. This comes up constantly. 1 Corinthians 15 is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And, and Paul says, uh, let me remind you, brothers. Because we forget. This is our secret weapon in spiritual warfare and is very powerful against the enemy who would try and make you forget. And what is he trying to make you forget? He's trying to make you forget who you are. That's what we did in week one. That you have an identity that is outside of this world that is given to you in Christ. You are no longer divided. You are made one new man as the church, as makers of peace in this city. And God, would, uh, the enemy would have you forget that. But God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, brings up this word, remember, constantly so that you would not, and so that you would win that battle with the enemy. He would not let you forget that. So many of us uh, myself not included, this wasn't true for me, grow up in the church as kids and then, and then you, we lose our faith because we forget all the amazing spiritual truths. And I get sometimes there's hurt and, and, and shame and guilt and you get caught up in these uh, legalisms and all this kind of stuff. But be, it's because we forget, our parents forgot and we forget that the truth is we are made new in Christ. And so remember Let's fight that battle and remember what Jesus has done on the cross, but beyond that, what the reality of the cross means for us. So remember your story. Once you were far off, 
but now you're brought near. Once you were aliens and strangers to each other, but now you are fellow citizens. Let's remember. Remembering will keep you humble. And it'll keep you sober-minded. There's no room for pride and arrogance in our discourse with the world. Because we were far off too. Remembering will remind you how far you've come. Remembering will give you hope that Jesus will continue the work that he started in you. And more than that, he will bring it to completion. Remembering will keep your focus clear. You don't have to get distracted by things that don't matter. And remembering will light up the truth in the darkness of lies. And so today, as we go to communion, let's remember together. That's what this is. Let's remember the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus in your place for your sins so you could experience a new spiritual reality. So let's remember it in the form of a physical reality. And if you're not a Christian, that's fine. This isn't for you yet, but it could be right now. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you could ask God right now to make you that new man, to unite you through the cross to the church, to give you hope for peace with God and with each other. So let me pray. God, thank you that you are the greatest peacemaker. Thank you, God, for reminding us of who we are. Thank you, God, that there is truth in the midst of so many lies. God, I think back on my own story, use and abuse of alcohol, overindulging in, in uh, lusts of the flesh. God, I was so far from you. You brought me near. You changed everything about who I am. So God, if there's somebody in this room who needs reminding, who needs encouraging, who, who uh, beyond that needs to be made new today, would you do that work? And give us confidence to stand boldly before the throne of grace and sing songs to you, Lord, and pray to you, Lord. And then as we go out, enjoy each other in community, Jesus. Thank you for that great gift. It's in your name we pray, amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.